<laughs> Welcome to the Sunday Movie Marathon. I'm Max. I'm Trabopoline. Trabopoline. <laughs> and this is the episode 73. Yeah. Congratulations, guys. How are we feeling this um, week? I still have COVID. I feel Fuck. like basically fine. I'm just like, I've got a bit of a, wouldn't even say sore throat. It just kind of, it feels almost like it's full of phlegm that I need to get out. Kind of snotty. Gross, but. Not otherwise just I'm need to right. hack it all out. Just yeah. need to choke it all out of your system. Yeah. None of the viewers needed that. Viewers? <laughs> they, 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 none of them needed to hear that. I'll probably just be need all to right give it a good tomorrow, <laughs> but. Yeah. For now, oh, good, good, good. still got it, so we're still recording remotely. Yeah. Whereas I'm fine. I'm living life. Yeah, good. Darcy got it for about three days. It was, she it, yeah, it was the like entire a time. Grand total of like four, five. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on day five, <laughs> yeah. so I was hoping, oh, I'll be all right by then. Because I felt basically fine yesterday, just a little bit worse than I am today. And like loads of people I know only had it for five days and then were fine. Everybody's That's different, abhorrent. Why does everybody else get it so much easier than me? Yeah, I know. I almost it, died. It, it seemed like you had the uh, short end of the straw, to be honest. I did. Yeah. It was annoying. I lost everything in that storm <laughs> of COVID. A whole I lost everything days. dear to me. <laughs> and even, even afterwards, I was still like zoning out. After I tested uh, negative, I was still zoning out a bit. Um, I was still very tired, very fatigued. Um, still coughing up phlegm like Chris just blah, just coughing it all up yeah still going on yeah, um, so it never coughing. goes away really I feel like we're all going to be <laughs> coughing to some degree <clears throat> actually maybe not Chris yeah, Chris I'm hasn't really still been coughing, doing actually. that Chris has been faking it <laughs> <laughs> I've just been drawing the lines when Darcy's not been looking <laughs> don't have anything red to draw he gets with, out his red sharpie and he's like yeah. this is another line for me I don't really fancy going into work today. Not going to go into work today. Another line it is. <laughs> don't look at me like that. <laughs> have a bottle of lemon juice hidden in the room. That no, just keeps squirting on the test. Nice good old lemon juice. To go positive. You say that. I've seen yeah. so many like TikToks about actually not working. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it works if you do it with a We all have a though. good old squirt. It's good old squirt of lemon juice, that'll do you. Mmm, spook, So because of that, Chris has fucked the podcast again, and um, we're going to have to do the next episode. Um, maybe in person, but we're going to have to watch the movie separately. Yeah. <clears throat> we'll see, yeah, we'll yeah. see how it goes. I think we'll be alright to record um, together, it's just, we probably would be able to do it, like we'll do the marathon together, I just think we'd be really cutting it thin, and possibly not getting it done in time so it's just easier yeah mm. i don't think we i don't think we'd do it next week is so busy is it next week is isn't it well, oh god it's already the yeah. sif yeah oh well what can you well, do well let's not jinx it my friends we'll see how it goes no, good point good point you never know the world might burn cheers we watched some movies we did a free-for-all recommendation so we all recommended a movie we all and we watched them we watched them all all of those all three of them so we watched The Big Lebowski we watched that other one that I picked A uh, Few Good Men and the the other one There Will Be Blood and Chris picked the first one so take it away 
Yeah, so I picked um, The Big Lebowski, directed by the Coen brothers from 1998. The film is about a guy called The Dude, who um, is played by Jeff Bridges. He's kind of like the slacker, stoner sort of guy who lives a very carefree life, who um, one day out of nowhere has two um, Russian, I guess like almost gangster sort of people, break into his house and get him basically torture him and say where's the money um it turns out he was actually mistaken for another guy with the same name as him and because of that he ends up being recruited by this richer man to find his um his wife who's gone missing it's just this it's a quite complicated movie plot wise because there's like a million things going on that is true i wasn't expecting the the film took because I haven't seen it, so I wasn't expecting the plot that actually happened. I was like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> this is what this is about." Like my mom just came into it saying it was just like a bowling movie. I didn't think she wanted to give it away, to be honest. Yeah, it's definitely more than a bowling movie. <laughs> she was like, "You'll love this. It's a bowling movie. Ask Chris if he's ever seen it." And then just enough. That's it. That was the only context <laughs> I got. So I was very confused. <laughs> they they do bowl though. To be fair, yeah, they do. They do bowl. That's like. I like how the crux is like the whole point is that this movie would never happen if these guys didn't break in and piss on his rug. That's the only reason any of this happened. No, it was kind of like um, it was kind of like nobody in that sense. The movie mm. nobody, where like the whole plot hinges on like just a little small bracelet being stolen. It's he, funny he really because of that. Rug. Yeah, it tied it the whole tied room together. Yeah. <laughs> My. So, um, surface level thoughts. What does everyone think of this film? I know I'm I'm the one who's seen it the most. I've seen it loads and loads of times. But Max, you've only seen it once before. Am I right? Yeah, this is my second time watching it. Um, wasn't much of a fan when I saw it the first time. Um, I don't know why really, because I really enjoyed it this time around. I guess just like you know what you're in for in the second go round. Um, it was a lot funnier for me and I don't think I really laughed all that much um, on the first go round. Uh, but this time, I was howling, man. I was I was in tears. I was laughing so much. I think the, the Coens do a really good job of uh, combining comedy with mystery. I think that's kind of their, their vibe, um, their directorial vibe. Um, I really found it very entertaining. It's probably like really up there in terms of uh, the the Cohen Brothers filmography for me now. Yeah. yeah, I had a blast with it. Yeah, I found the first time I watched it, I wasn't super into it either. And I've spoken to quite a few people who kind of felt the same way. They thought the first time around it was good but not amazing. And then, like upon repeated viewings, they've really fallen in love with it. What did you think? Yeah, it's like a masterpiece, it? really. I'm trying to, I'm trying to like uh, gather the thoughts because I didn't really have that sense of. I I didn't not like it if that makes sense. So maybe I'm just part of the uh the other percentage of people that actually did like it on the first go round. I mean, yeah, like I said, I um wasn't expecting it to go where it did, but I mean, it was fucking funny. <laughs> I was just watching this stuff happen. And it was just like one thing after another, and I just thought, where the fuck is it going to go now? But I kind of like that though. I like the fact that I kind of went in expecting. I'm, I'll be honest, I probably expected nothing, to be honest. And then it just, you know, it was great. <laughs> yeah, I think pace-wise it's very interesting because it's like simultaneously has almost like a 
leisurely sort of hangout pace and at the same time is also flying at a million miles an hour i feel like the plot is like so complicated and um convoluted but it kind of almost feels unimportant in the grand scheme of the film i feel like most of the films literally just seeing these characters and how they respond to all these things going on there's yeah, a lot of strands yeah, lot of strands to kind of connect um, <laughs> I think the Coen brothers love doing shit that's like um, they know what they're talking about but it's like really personal to them so you'll never figure it out I found that when I watched A Serious Man recently I was like something's going on here but I have no idea what's, what's happening yeah. really but they definitely know <laughs> although maybe they don't know I don't know um, I kind of like that everything is like you want some kind of resolution at the end, but it's like, it kind of refuses to give you one. It's like, yeah, and then like they all kind of went home and nothing happened. Yeah. <laughs> one of them dies and they just carry on. Do you know what? I, I think that was the part that kind of uh, threw me off the most. I wasn't expecting him to just die. Yeah. It's I was very like, subtle, Steve Buscemi. Yeah. out of nowhere. But I feel like everything in this film that happens is out of nowhere. No, no, that is true, actually. Like, <laughs> but. I've, okay, but in the context of the film, everything made sense up until the point where he's just like having a heart attack in the car park, and I was like, "What the fuck's going on here, man?" I mean, it does make sense in the actual uh, context of like the scene, I suppose. But I'm, I'm, I was just confused. But I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I can't really complain because it kind of adds to the whole like, what's, what's, what's the other guy? Who's, um, who's the other guy that isn't the dude? What's his name? I've forgotten already. Walter. Walter, Walter. What, a f- what a fucking character that guy is. But that adds to it, really, because you think, oh, God, this guy's mm-hmm. a fucking maniac. Yeah. But not even a maniac. He's just like, I think everyone has like that one friend that is consistently just fucking up everything, but seems to get away with doing all the stupid shit that they yeah. do. He's very angry and set in his ways. He's a, like a Vietnam vet. And he's very like... Mm-hmm. Everything's about everything. Vietnam. <laughs> Everything is just there to piss him off, basically. He's just annoyed about everything and annoyed when things don't go his way, which it rarely does. I like the the Shabos thing that happens quite a lot. Yeah. Because he's Jewish. I don't do anything on the Shabbos. It is the day of rest. Have you not fucking... You got divorced years ago and he's like, oh, so what? I just abandoned the Jewish faith because I got divorced. (laughs) He's like always, t- yeah. I love that he ties everything to Nam. He's like, I didn't watch my buddies die face down in the muck. So this fucking strumpet, this whore, and this dude's just like, Walter, I don't see any connection to Vietnam. He says, Well, yeah, there I, isn't I, I, a literal <laughs> connection, dude. I like, yeah, I like the fact that that's always brought up as well. Like, why are you talking about Nam? This has nothing to do. With I found Nam. that to be quite an interesting and funny commentary on like, you see like these kind of veterans who are like yeah well i've fought this or like people who are kind of defending like the military in in, in a way it's like they fought so that we you could eat that sandwich on your plate and if not then you would you would be a slave to the the vietnam war if we had lost it's like yeah okay (laughs) why do you gotta take everything there like it doesn't matter yeah there's that great scene where he pulls out a gun at the bowling alley because he disagrees with one of the other people <laughs> yeah it's, it's great it's, like i say it's just unhinged <laughs> i think the idea of like you saying that it's um 
kind of laid back but also very like going 100 miles an hour is also tied directly into the, the dude as a character i think yeah. he's like he's probably one of the best characters in uh a movie i think he's really he's really great um and jeff Bridges plays him wonderfully he's like he's just this grubby guy who's like doesn't really give a shit about anything um and that's kind of like he's very laid back so the movie's tone is quite laid back but also he's thrust into this world where he has to give a shit about something um and like that's what makes the movie go so like fast and it's weird because he's 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 not exactly likable but he's also really likable yeah and a lot a lot of the things don't even happen because that he's caused them to happen. He's, he's just, just kind, kind of, of existing yeah. in this world and all this shit's going on and he's somehow getting sucked into it all. Yeah, it's kind of like he's just watched the drug deal like murder go on and he's just kind of... <laughs> he's a conscientious you know, objector. Yeah, he is a like standby. I like it though, that he's just so like... so chilled out. Like, I think... Mm. Was it... um Was, was it... Did you? I can't remember if you actually said this in this film or not because we watched a lot of films, right? And you just went, "If that was me, I'd just kill myself." I don't even remember if that was this film. I don't think it was. <laughs> what? <laughs> Maybe it wasn't. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't. Yeah, I don't know. Either it's way, like a there, really was, there was a lot to deal with in progression. This film. There's a lot of like really good progression, you know. It never kind of falters in a way you just kind of along along for the ride which is sort of what the character's doing as well it's just like i'm just gonna see where this goes yeah, never if really i get a rug out of it they? that's fine i feel like like even at the end there's yeah there's like there's there's progression in a story that's, a, that's, that's like, like no a common grew, theme with you know that's a common theme with the coen brothers movies i feel no one ever it's like characters who go through shit and nobody kind of learns anything but they're at the end and it's like oh fuck you definitely got on a journey, but I don't know what it means, really. And yeah. they don't know what it means. They kind of just go home. Yeah, like, I think, for me, I think the mo- the, uh, the most confusing part was the was the bit at the very end where this, like, cowboy man is sitting there, yeah, like... Yeah, Yeah, like, oh, up. hi, this is, this yeah, is a like story that happened. Yeah, narrator. And I'm like, who are you, and how do you know this man, and why do you know this story? <laughs> I don't understand. He's just a fan. He's just a fan of the movie. He's like us, I guess. Um, <laughs> I love it. He's, like, he's just watching the dude. He's like, yeah, that guy. I, I like that guy. He has like this weird monologue at the beginning. You don't see his face, but he's um, kind of narrating. Mm. And he's like, um, oh, sometimes there's a man who just fits in with the time and place, and sometimes there's a man, and I'm not going to say a hero. Sometimes there's a man, and I'm talking about the dude. Sometimes there's a man. No, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> he just like <laughs> loses his thought. He's like, oh, okay, anyway, here's the movie. Yeah, it's really interesting. <laughs> I think the writing just generally from the Coen brothers is incredible in this movie. It's like easily one of my favorite scripts they've ever done. Everything is just like yeah. so memorable. The characters are so well written. The film is like super, super quotable. There's loads and loads of lines in this film that I've heard like millions of times quoted. And it's just, mm-hmm. like, it's just hilarious. The whole film. Yeah. Say what you will about the tenets of national socialism. At least it's an ethos. That's fucking hilarious. It's like they were talking about like <laughs> how the guys who peed on the dude's rug were probably Nazis, but the guys who came into his house while he was in the bath and put a marmot in his bathtub were nihilists who didn't believe in anything. So it's like saying, yeah, these guys they don't believe in anything, but at least the Nazis they actually are 
had some kind of a a, a meaning to them. They actually yeah. knew what they were about. <laughs> it was interesting for me watching this film um, now because a lot of that stuff went over my head when I watched it before because I don't think I've seen it since I was like 16, 17. I watched it a mm. lot as a teenager and that sort of, that's the kind of stuff that flew over my head. I was mostly just laughing at, you know, Walter going crazy about things. Yeah. That's what a teenager could take out of this movie is um, John Goodman being insane. Yeah. I think. Um, but I do believe there's a lot of subtlety going on over the surface. Um, and I do, I really like, I think this is probably my favorite performance by John Goodman. I think he pulls it out of the bag, especially because I just watched fucking Speed Racer and he does not absolutely nothing in that movie. <laughs> so it's like such a interesting comparison. I don't know. Well, think of it this way. We just finished watching Monsters, Inc. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was even well, weirder. also great in that. And um, Emperor's New Groove. He was in that also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. quite weird seeing him do something that isn't like... I was yeah, it was weird because he was just like swearing his head off the entire time. He's like, every sentence is punctuated with a swear word. It's like I didn't realize how little I've heard John Goodman swear before. Yeah, I like it. yeah, he's really great in this film. This is um, apparently this is his favorite film he's ever been in. I don't blame him. Like mm-hmm. if if you could like pick his films out of a lineup, but then I suppose if he likes doing that kind of film, this probably would be his favorite film. If that makes sense. Because I feel yeah. like his other films are a bit, I don't know, maybe they're a bit more... Um, well, he's, in, um, yeah. he's in quite a few Coen Brothers movies because he's like good friends with them. Well, to be <laughs> fair, the only other one I've seen is Fargo. I don't even know if he's in that film. I haven't seen it in a while. I don't, I don't, think, think, I don't so. think he is, no. Yeah, he's in um, Barton Fink. He plays, I guess, like, this really weird, creepy guy. He's really good in that yeah. film. I love that. A weird, creepy guy. Well, I was about to explain <laughs> the character he plays, and I realised it's like a massive spoiler, so... Oh, fair. oh um, okay, fair enough. I want to give it away in case either of you watch it, which I would highly recommend you do. Mm, but this guy, Walter, I do like when he pulls that gun out on um that guy he's bowling with, and he's like, this is not numb, this is bowling, there are rules. <laughs> He gets like so invested <laughs> in the dude's um, conundrum, like as if it's his own conundrum. You don't really know why. It's just like, oh, my, my buddies didn't die face down in the dirt for this. It's like, dude, this isn't up. This isn't your thing. Why are you? Why are you driving him to this yeah. like location to drop off a bag? And he's like, I felt I felt this bag with my underwear. I'm gonna chuck it over the chuck it over the bridge, and, and he does it. It's like. Why are you here? Why, why did you do like that? He, I kind of feel like he has nothing else to do, though. He yeah, gives me I the impression that, that he's just there because this is his only source of entertainment, I guess. Dan a lot Shabbos. of his solutions to problems are just like, uh, let's just go bowling. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'd go bowling. Yeah, I really love the sure. um, progression of the character as well, like right at the end where you kind of see the character get broken down a bit. Like throughout the whole film, I feel like he's got this really tough demeanor. He's always like um, saying like "fuck you" to their friend Donnie, played by Steve Buscemi. <laughs> and then when he dies, mm-hmm. like right at the end, they like scatter his ashes, and the wind like f- like blows him into um, the dude's face. <laughs> and afterwards, you can like tell he's like actually really upset. He's just kind of really silent and gives him a hug. And that's like the first time you see the mm-hmm. character like do something other than shout. I think it's really interesting. Yeah. That was like a final fuck you, though, from the film. It's like putting the last middle finger up at you. 
Like, yeah, yeah. the ashes blow in his, in his face. She's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then Walter was still talking about Vietnam at Dolly's eulogy. Yeah. Like, what the fuck was that shit about Vietnam? <laughs> like, Telling you, the like, man's obsessed with Vietnam. God. Oh, Donnie wouldn't have died in Vietnam. Can't believe this. Yeah. <laughs> but things just kind of solve themselves, you know. There's like that point where um, the dude's got the police over because like his car was stolen. He's trying to be like, are you going to find my car? And the police are like, no, probably not. And then like he was like, oh, also my rug got stolen. You going to do anything about that? And then um, Julianne Moore calls him and she's like, yeah, I'm Maud Lebowski. I'm the woman who took your rug. And the police are just like, oh, I guess that's all that then. <laughs> that bit's so good. I get that just, that's an accurate reflection of the police service though, isn't it? Yeah. To be honest. Ah, they sold it themselves. Mm. Good, good thing we don't have to do it now. Yeah, there's that bit where he, um, they find the car and he's like, well, have you got any leads on who took it? And he, the, guy, the police officer's like, yeah, we've got a whole team of four men Investigating his shit yeah. <laughs> day and night. He just laughs at him. Yeah. I think, I think I out think, of uh, all Julianne of um, Moore was like Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say I think out of all of um the Cohen Brothers movies, this is the one with the most interesting characters. <laughs> like there's so many strange and like entertaining to watch characters, really great actors playing I think characters who were very different for them, like show off their comedic chops, like um, John Goodman, Steve Buscemi, who we've already talked about, but also you got Julianne Moore, which obviously Max was about to bring up. Mm. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's in the movie and is great. <laughs> I love um, John Totoro, who plays um, Jesus, the character. Yeah. He's like, oh, he's so flamboyant and he's bowler. nuts. Um, David Fulis is in the movie as well, and I didn't recognize him until up. I looked it up. Who's that? Yeah. David Thewlis. Oh, no. oh, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, we didn't recognise him. Because um, I was like, I was <laughs> looking through the cast. Yeah, yeah, I was looking through the, the cast. Who the fuck is like, this guy? Who's, who's this? And I was like, fucking hell, it's David Thewlis. And Darcy didn't believe me. Because and, uh, and he then looks start, very different. Yeah, and then he started speaking to me. And we're mm. like, oh, that sounds like him, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's like shaved bald. He's just like constantly giggling. Yeah. He's like, there's no absolute, there's absolutely no reason for this guy to be here in this scene. He's only there for this one scene that yeah. he just like sat in a chair and laughing. And it's like, who the fuck is this guy? And the dude even remarked on it. It's like, what the, f what is happening? I kind of appreciate that though. I feel like it, I don't know, just having these random standbys just add to the fucking weirdness of this movie. Mm. Yeah, I really. I do like the characters a lot. I think it's very much up there with um, Fargo in terms of that. I think yeah. those characters in that movie are really great as well. Um, a lot of good character actors, you know, that you kind of get uh, very much involved with. Uh, it never feels like, oh, you know, I'm watching uh, Jeff Bridges or I'm watching John Goodman. It's like, these are just these people, you know. Yeah, that's my favourite thing about the Coen brothers, I think. That's why I'm a huge, huge fan of them. They're one of my, like, some of my favourite films are by them. I think they've always just got really mm. interesting characters in their movies and they're always played very differently by their performers as well. It's a lot of weird shit. They just, I think they like a lot of weird shit in their movies. There's like one part where um, Philip Seymour Hoppin is talking to uh, the dude and he's like, uh, 
looking at the picture of the kids, he's like, oh, these are Mr. Lebowski's children. He's like, oh, what, really? He's like, no, they're, they're the little Lebowski urban achievers without the necessary means for necessary means for higher education. And it's like, <laughs> why'd you say that twice? <laughs> Nobody ever like comments on it. It's like, why'd you say that twice? I feel like, I don't know. That's the kind of thing, like, you don't know if it's scripted or like he just like made a mistake, but they just kept it in there. I quite like it though. Yeah. It's weird because it never happens again. Like that's the only time that one thing happens, or like they repeat a, a certain phrase. It's like, oh, okay, that happened. Yeah, maybe we're meant to ignore it. I mean, I didn't even pick up on it to be honest. So maybe that's something that they're just hoping that. <laughs> I don't know. It was interesting. Said. I like. Re- I, I I actually like watched that part like three times over. I was like, he actually just say that <laughs> like twice, but for no reason. <laughs> And yeah, I was going to mention Julianne Moore because I think she's very good in this movie. I think she's a she fantastic is. actor. Um, she just kind of shows up and she's introduced in like the weirdest fucking way possible. She's like, she's naked and she's flying over this huge canvas and like flicking paint at the canvas. It's like she's an artist. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was cool. That was a, that was a, one of the more interesting ways a character has been introduced in a movie. <laughs> yeah, there was like I was reading up. I can't remember exactly who it was, but apparently there was like a couple of famous like, modern artist that she was based on. I know one of them was Yoko Ono, but I don't know the other one. Mm. Fucking yeah. shit on a canvas naked. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. It's a I very Yoko Ono found... thing to do. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know if what you thought about her accent. I thought it was like halfway between American and English, but it couldn't like yeah. quite pin it down. I wasn't <laughs> it was sure, yeah, I wasn't sure what it was meant to be, but yeah, I mean, I guess it kind of does make sense. She could have been, like, British-born, but obviously she lives in America, so maybe it's somewhere in the middle, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's probably just more her, she's just quite the best accent. Yeah. It happens, though, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. She came across me as quite, like, posh, so, I don't know, maybe the uh, the hybrid thing going on, maybe just, I don't know, it kind of made sense to the character, so I didn't really question it once again i was just like okay this is a thing that's happening the film is um shot by one of the greats roger deakins does the cinematography it is the film um i don't think all of it is like super creative or inventive but there's definitely some really great stuff in the film i love the um intro mm-hmm. where it's like the cameras are like following the bowling balls like going down each lane and like there's POV shots where you are the ball. I think are really interesting. Yeah. Um, you are the ball. Yeah. There's a couple of <laughs> really great like, dreams. It would almost give you motion well, sickness. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was it was absolutely like kind of nauseating to be honest. Yeah, mm. yeah. There's it's a couple round of round. Um, <laughs> I thought it was cool. There's a couple of dream sequences that I think are visually really really good. Um, there's one where like the dude is flying through the sky and then. Like gets sucked into like the finger hole on a bowling ball and starts like like rotating. And there's another one where there's like he dreams up he's in a porn film. Um, Is that the one where he's helping her to bowl? Yeah, yeah, that one was sick. It's like almost like crafted, like especially when it comes to the sets and visuals, like uh, like an old like fifties musical, like Singing in the Rain or something. And it's really crazy. Yeah, it reminds me of that scene in Singing in the Rain where they're in that like room and like. Everything is just kind of like yeah, that, like blank. heavenly yeah. sort of thing. Kind of reminds me of that. You get the Gypsy Kings in there. 
little yeah. bit of the Gypsy Kings for their cover of uh, Hotel California. Just as this guy, um, Jesus, <laughs> I think uh, John Totoro was playing him. It was really good. Um, but he's like bowling and like it's in kind of in slow-mo and he's all dressed in purple and the bowling ball is pink and he, he kind of licks the ball in slow-mo. Yeah, that really <laughs> feels sick. I'm not going to lie. But the song yeah. is a banger. I really love that song. Yeah, want- I was saying to Darcy um, <laughs> years and years ago um, when my mate Callum first learned to drive, he used to play that song in the car all the time and I remember there was one like car journey where we we're in the car maybe for about an hour and half of that he literally played that cover on loop do you know what i honestly i honestly didn't even know it was that song yeah is it is, this, is it in spanish is that what it is i yeah. don't know either way i didn't realize yeah. it was that song until the chorus came in and i was like oh <laughs> yeah i really like the gypsy song. kings i think they're like i think they're a french band who sing in spanish i think oh okay. yeah they are. interesting yeah. They're, actually, they're really great. Yeah. I actually love the um the soundtrack just generally. Um the musician mm-hmm. T Bone Burnett acted as the music consultant and kind of helped the Cohen brothers establish the dude's taste in music. Um like selected all the music as if they were going through what they think the dude would be into. Like um there's a Bob Dylan song, um The Man and Me that plays a few times throughout, which is a really great song. Um and let- he also like decided that the dude should hate the eagles you know, i was just so. about to say that because there's that bit where obviously they're they're doing hotel california and then, and yeah, then later the, on he goes oh i hate the eagles yeah he's like in a taxi and he's like can you turn off the music i've had a really bad night and i re- fucking hate the eagles and the taxi driver chucks them out like basically fucking like assaults him out of this taxi <laughs> that's the kind of shit that if i was a taxi driver and someone said my music was shit i'd probably be like my fucking taxi mate. <laughs> my taxi. I think the music just really fits the film because it does have a like ultra American vibe and I think the music which is just like all like old seventies classic rock and Americana and stuff just really fits that vibe. Yeah, I feel like it yeah, it kind of fits his like demeanour as a person. That's yeah. it's hard to explain. <laughs> Very grimy. Mm. There was a point where they're just trying to find out shit, so like They've tracked down this kid to his house. <laughs> his um, his homework was in the dude's car when he got it back after it had been stolen. So he just goes up to this kid and he like starts swearing at this kid in his house, even though he thought like the the father had stolen the car, but his th- father was like, or his grandfather was in like this kind of incubator and like he was he was on life support. It was really funny, and then you have to like destroy the car that was outside of the uh, house because they thought the kid bought it with the money that he stole from the um, from the, 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 the car, the car boot that they had. And then this guy comes out and he's like, fuck you, I just bought that car. And he smashes up the dude's car because yeah. Walter's smashing up his car, this really nice red car, this sports car. And it's like, oh, fucking hell. All this, it doesn't even matter. You didn't even need to do this. You got yourself into the situation. Like, you really didn't need to do that. And then, like, there was, like, a really good way vis- to do, like, visual storytelling when, like, it just immediately cuts to them in the car, like, eating In-N-Out Burger. Oh, and <laughs> everyone like, was like, Oh, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> That's by the In-N-Out, isn't it? Yeah, we could go get In-N-Out. And boss is like, shut the fuck up, Donnie. We're talking about something now. You're out of your depth, Donnie. You're out of your depth. <laughs> And then it just like cuts and they're eating 
uh, in an out burger in an out burger in this smashed out car <laughs> yeah with the windshield like yeah they've lost gone. <laughs> <laughs> I like how it's just like silent. Like, just no one wants to. <laughs> just no yeah. speaking. There's no need for it, really. Really great there? use of editing there. Although I do like the bit also later like on when where he's like, he's cracking. He's <laughs> crack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just weird turns. There's like. There's that part where Julianne Moore goes into um, the dude's house and she's like. Um, make love to me now and they just have sex it's like oh okay that happened and then like she, you kind of automatically know what, what she's doing when she's like doing all these weird poses in the bed <laughs> and like holding her knees up to her head and stuff. I'm like oh okay she's trying to get pregnant here so there's just like a thread <laughs> there's just one of these one of the many strands in this movie that kind of just like it ends and you're like okay so she's probably pregnant and like, it doesn't even matter. Yeah, that's quite late in the film as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they kind of insinuate to it, don't yeah. they? Because that cowboy man says something about it. And that was it. That's kind of all you ever get to find out about anything. So weird. Why does that need to be in the film anyway? But I don't... <laughs> why? Yeah, why anything? <laughs> that's what this movie is like, though. Yeah, they're just setting oh, yeah, up loads of different things. Yeah, I thought, like, at the end, you kind of... You almost want there to be, like, an explosive conclusion, but it's like, everything's tied up, so what else could possibly happen? Yeah, they tie it up quite, like, nonchalantly. Like, yeah, almost so as if it doesn't done. really actually matter, which I actually really like. I think the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, okay, that's that's that then, but... Upon repeated viewings, I kind of appreciate it a lot more. I feel like it mm-hmm. makes sense, though, because you can't have a film that's this kind of chilled out, mad at its tone, then end it on something like really mental. I think it only works because it's just kind of like, and this was a thing that happened. Here's your life. Carry on. It's like, oh, okay. It doesn't always have to be like this weird theatrical like thing, I guess. I just feel bad for Donnie, to be honest. Yeah, poor guy. <laughs> He was just living life. He just wanted to bowl. Yeah, great. Um, One of my favourite bits is where um, they're talking about um, Lenin and Donnie's just sat behind him and he just keeps saying, I am the walrus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah what, what the hell was that all? And he's like, uh, I am the walrus. Yeah. I am the walrus. <laughs> like, what's that famous saying that Lenin said? <laughs> I am the walrus. Like, I am the walrus. <laughs> Yeah, it was like um, it was like right at the beginning of the movie. They like kind of hit you with um, like the guy pisses on his rug and he's telling Walter about it and he's like, oh, "This Chinaman pissed on my rug." And he goes, "Um, uh, oh, what is it?" He's like, "Oh, dude, Chinaman is not the preferred nomenclature. Asian American, please." <laughs> <laughs> Lot of great writing, just generally. Mm-hmm. Apparently, yeah. um, the dude says man 147 times in the film, which is like nearly one yeah. and a half times a minute. And they say the F word 292 times in the film. <laughs> nice. Good. Good. Like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, the second you read facts like that, you start like picking up for it because I kept going, when's he going to say man again? Just wait for it. Just every go. sentence. Yeah. It was like mm. literally every other sentence, to be honest. Mr. Treehorn treats objects like women, man. 
Are we good to, we go on to, go ratings? to ratings? Ooh. Yeah. Yep. I like how you did that at the same time. What I don't. should we rate it out of? Well, she, your movie, you, you, you pick a rating. I think that's unfair. Pick a rating. Dudes. Dudes. Couldn't pick your own rating. Right, nah. dudes. You yeah, lose, you lose. Really great mm-hmm. movie. I really love it. Um, I could see myself <laughs> revisiting it again soon. Now I've um, rewatched it. I feel like I kind of forgot a lot about it. I'm just rewatching it. I realised how much I really loved this movie. It's one of my favourite Coen Brothers movies. They give it um, nine dudes out of ten. Welcome to the Hotel California. Such a lovely place. Um, yeah, really good one. One of the Coen Brothers' best. Um, I'd watch it again. Uh, probably pretty soon. It's just like a really... It is quite a hangout movie because you're just kind of going along with these characters who are really well written and very well acted. Um, I love it. Uh, I'll give it nine dudes out of ten. Yeah. I was just debating whether I... I think I would watch this again, actually. It's fun. Yeah, it's one of those films that um, I feel like it doesn't outstay its time either. Like, I I didn't feel like I was watching it for however long it was, if that makes sense. It kind of felt kind of quick. Kind of like one of those films that you could just watch again. You can just have it on in the background while you're doing something like I was doing yesterday. Um, yeah, um, originally I had it at eight, but I'm going to change it to nine dudes out of ten. Woohoo! Nine all round. Thanks, Cohen's. Okay. I picked a movie. It's called A Few Good Men, and it was released in 1992, and it was directed by um, one of the great directors, Rob Reiner. And this is a movie about uh, uh, Daniel Caffey, who's a military lawyer uh, in the US. Uh, he's played by Tom Cruise, and he has to defend two US Marines who are charged with murdering one of their fellow Marines at the Guantanamo Bay Naval Base in Cuba. And um, it's kind of this courtroom drama, uh, trying to figure figure out what really happened. A lot of twists and turns. Was it um, premedicated murder? Did they mean to murder him? And um, how are they going to... How How is um, Tom Cruise going to get these guys off? How did you come yes. to actually pick this movie, Max? Did you just look at your collection and go, yes, that is a movie? Look, man, I just looked at my collection and I thought, there's a movie I haven't watched yet. I just kind of want to get through um, the movies that I haven't watched uh, that I that I own. So yeah, this is yeah. I need I to do this that. one. I heard it was. I heard it was a good one, also. Uh, and I like Rob Reiner. I think he's one of the uh, one of the really good directors. And Chris and I were arguing that Chris thinks he sucks, <laughs> and I think he's awesome. I didn't say I think he sucks. <laughs> he just said he's made a lot of shit, <laughs> which is true. Do you know what? Perhaps, but he's also made I'll, a lot of really brilliant movies. Yeah, I'll be honest though. This actually uh, was pleasantly surprising. I mean, not. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be honest, not that I've ever really heard of this film before. To be honest, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. I read the I read the plot of it, and I was like, uh, okay. Yeah, I think I read the plot and was like, this is either going to be really interesting or really boring. Um, when I found out Aaron Sorkin also wrote it, I was kind of hesitant because although I do like some of his work. I just was worried that this would be a bit too much like the trial of the Chicago Seven, which is another um, mm-hmm. courtroom movie which he wrote and directed. Yeah. Um, but this is much better than that. Um, 
I think that film definitely has positives. There's definitely things I like about that film. But everything I like about that film, I think this film also does, but does it a lot better because they've actually got a talented director behind it. I guess that's why you've got a, they call it a classic, I suppose. I don't know. I really like this film, actually. I wasn't expecting to like it at all. But I really did. But I don't know why. I can't I can't well, I can't explain to you what made me like it. I just wasn't there was like a know. there was like it's a small a dip pleaser. in it where I was bored, like a small dip. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. it just swept me back in and I was just like, I'm not I'm not going anywhere until this is finished. Like I think at one point Chris paused it and I got really pissed off. <laughs> I think it just does a very good job at investing you in the story, which is not something that um Trial of Chicago Seven did for me. Personally, yeah. um, you want you want to know how this pans out. You want to know what's going to happen at the end. And I think mm-hmm. they do a very good job with the pacing of it all, um, and like understanding when to go into the courtroom and when to have these um, uh, more pullback moments where they're they're just kind of discussing things in Tom Cruise's house. Um, I think it's all very very well done in that area. I think this is probably the only film that I've liked Tom Cruise in. Do you think? I really I like Tom Cruise, him. honestly. I think I've, I've kind of sung his praises before. I yeah. really like him as an actor. I think he's very good. I think he's very good for this role. Um, he's more of like an action man these days, but he's, he had a lot of movies where he just did really well, did really good performances, you know. Yeah. And this, I think, is one of them. For me, I, I, don't, I don't really like him, but I think a lot of that comes down to... A him outside of film, just him like just as, a as a person. person. <laughs> but also, I've never really been super into the action stuff he's done recently. I think when he's in a dramatic role like this or Eyes Wide Shut, he's really, really great. The only, mm-hmm. I think, the only other thing I've seen him in that was kind of drama based was wasn't he in um one of those like Interview with a Vampire? Was he not in that film? Yeah, that's the only other thing yeah. I've seen him in that hasn't been like. Mission Impossible based, I think. And he was alright in that film as well, actually. I mean, credit where it's due, maybe he's just been in the wrong films for me. Um, but yeah, as a as a person as well, he's a questionable character. Sure. I think I'm more more in um, referencing more his like acting capabilities. I think he's now more known as an action man, but um yeah. you know, he's he's very good in these dramatic roles, you know. He's very yeah. good in a few good men, very good in um Eyes Wide Shut, Magnolia, um, just like yeah, I think he's he works especially well for this role. It's kind of he's very young here. Um, he is. How old is he? He looks like he's <clears throat> fifteen. So so, so baby. How old is he? Yeah, it sounds yeah, about right. Thirty at the time. Um, he's sure um, sixteen now. No oh, shit! I didn't realize it mm-hmm. was like that long. Well, you know what I mean. Like it didn't feel as long as. Do you know what I mean? Like, he doesn't seem that old. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm tired. <laughs> I wouldn't have assumed yeah. he was 60, is what I'm trying to get at. Well, he keeps fit, you know. He's got to do all those Mission Impossible movies. So he's got oh, to keep course. fit for those. <laughs> yeah, I think he's, he's a very good character. Um, just someone who's kind of... He's got something to prove, you know. He's kind of out of his element, in a sense. He's kind of been thrown into this um, murder trial that he didn't think was going to... Uh, fuck with him in this way. Um, he's kind of living in his yeah. father's shadow, who was um, like a really great uh, 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 trial lawyer, I think. And he's never really been in a courtroom before, so this is kind of throwing him out of his element. Um, he's got to kind of figure things mm-hmm. out. 
and I think he does a very good job um, portraying this character as someone who you, you do root for. Yeah, he's kind of like a underdog. Like he only gets picked because they kind of think this is going to be like an open and shut case where it's going to be solved really quickly. Um, the government are going to get the result that they want. So they just pick this new guy who doesn't really have much experience expecting that will make it go quicker. But he puts up a fight and he ends up kind of revolting. And I think that's what makes it, like I said, a crowd pleaser. So you're really rooting for this guy. And once he wins at the end, it's very triumphant. Well, I nearly had me the whole way through the film. And then they bring out that, that there's like this little ball of cheese that they present to you. Oh, well, when he yeah. salutes the... <laughs> guy right at the end you don't need a bear what was it you don't need to be a naval officer to wear a badge of honor or some shit like that i can't remember or you don't yeah. need a badge to have honor yeah, or something that was really cheesy i mean chris was so to each other and i thought yeah. my god man <laughs> and he just goes like ten hut there's an officer in the room and he fucking salutes him it's like oh, oh god don't be so fucking corny this, like the this movie is playing. kind of yeah, this movie is kind of corny. I will say, yeah, I mean, the music can be corny. Works. Music can be quite corny. I think yeah. um, my main problems with the movie kind of come from like the fact that it looks so clean and like there's no wear and tear in the visuals. Everyone's very pretty and just caked in makeup, and there's no there's no grit to the film that you kind of expect from. Um, I guess something that's going for themes as um, upsetting as this. Yeah, like yeah. even when the, the scenes where um, what Tom Cruise comes back and he's been drinking and he's drunk or whatever, that is like the least convincing drunk person I've ever seen in my whole life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like he just didn't appear to me as like someone who was like intoxicated in any way, shape, or form. Like he could have just been upset, and I would have been like, okay, yeah, yeah. Like, here, Tom, put on this, put on this wet coat, and we're gonna spray you a bit with some with some water. We're gonna water <laughs> you down with a watering can. Just make sure the makeup doesn't run. Yeah, like what? Yeah, waterproof makeup and just like this can water. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, in terms of like filmmaking and the way it's made, I think it is a well-made movie, but. Had the script not been as great as it is, I don't think the film would really work that well. Because there's not really yeah. much going on past the acting and the writing for me. Well, yeah, there is only so much in this film happening, isn't there? Yeah, that visually, I don't think there's much that's that interesting. I really did not like the music. Um, I was glad that it's used <laughs> quite sparingly throughout. But when it is used, it sounds very, very of its time and quite cheesy. Yeah, like the first note on Chris's like list was very 90s score. And yeah. I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were like walking through this. Um, I think it was... Um, Tom Cruise and his mate who were walking through this kind of nice suburban street and all the leaves are on the ground it's like autumn and they kind of painted a picture of suburban America that I think was quite prevalent in certain movies or especially at the time in like the 90s um, it kind of feels idealised but it feels very fake and too clean like it's just made for movies like yeah. it's like they put like each individual leaf in a specific place and yeah I don't know it's just like you don't get the realism from that I don't think it feels like a movie yeah exactly a good movie but it feels like a movie <laughs> yeah but I do think um, Aaron Sorkin's script is really really fantastic I think this is some of his best writing it just kind of I feel like this kind of just encapsulates all of his skills as a writer just when it comes to the dialogue it's very intelligently written and I can see like the legal and military talk 
getting quite overwhelming for some people. Uh, maybe at some points I didn't really understand like all the legalese and all of that sort of stuff. But I think there's a lot of, a lot of like great setups and callbacks later on. Like um, there's a scene like, early on where he says that he's like one case away from getting a set of steak knives, and later on when <laughs> they think they're going to lose um um what's her name demi moore's like sorry i lost you that um set of steak knives it's a lot of great stuff like that um a lot of really famous quotes throughout as well like the you can't handle the truth line i'm gonna piss in your dead skull <laughs> yeah that was great <laughs> that one was actually better I, I wish that one had become the famous line that was like yeah. iconic. Like someone read it in a review and I went, nah, surely he doesn't say that. And then like, <laughs> it was a bit later on, really, but it was quite funny. Yeah. I, I mean, everyone's heard that you can't handle the truth line. I do think it was a very good line though. Um, it is. Like the whole dismantling of uh, Jessup is played by Jack Nicholson. Puts on this really great performance as this like kind of terrifying guy. You can't want to fuck with. Yeah. He's barely in the movie, but he like steals every single scene he's in. Mm -hmm. I thought that that reveal was just like really well done, brilliantly paced, and very well acted from both uh, Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson. And there's no yeah. music there either, so it just like it's just this mad reveal, and you're kind of left to sit in it while everyone goes, "Wow, well, I guess that's that." Yeah, Tom yeah, Cruise like uh, breaking down this man until he just snaps and lets everything out. I, I, I yeah, I kind of do prefer that there was kind of like nothing going on in the background there because you're kind of like in the moment, and he's just like, "God damn, I did!" It was like. Wah! <laughs> yeah, if you put music in there, it would become way too corny. Yeah, so. <laughs> I liked yeah. it actually. Um, it was it was probably the the best way to do a reveal like that. He's just there's so something not to be like... said about like. <laughs> there's something to be said, I think, about just the way that that was handled, and like I understood where Jack Nicholson's character was coming from. It's like. Yeah, if, like you, you want to talk about like how terrible we all are, but you don't want to talk about like the nitty gritty stuff that like we hide behind closed doors to keep you safe, you know, on the Cuban border. He's got a it's good like, point I though. Know, I think. I think there's some credence to that, probably, but like it's also, you know, he's still like a really terrible guy who did this awful thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love the way the film kind of explores the military and like the political aspects of like american military it kind of it seems to criticize like their methods and make you like question the structure of like military power but at the same time it kind of helps you kind of understand it in a way something i really loved mm -hmm. about the movie is that they do set up both sides of the argument um, both sides of this like court case so you kind of get both sides although may the film definitely makes you root for tom cruise and demi more they definitely make you understand the opposing side and kind of understand why you know the court case exists to begin with and that's something that i thought was really well done i don't think i've ever seen like a courtroom drama do it do that sort of thing well yeah not with the military anyway but i felt like i don't know maybe it's just if you have that sort of um if you think a certain way, you would see both sides of it anyway. Yeah. So I don't really understand mm. the need for them to kind of yeah, I really think, explain um, why there needed to be a case. Of course there needed to be one. Yeah, mo <sighs> pretty much every other courtroom drama I've seen has a very clear side of who's right and who's wrong, whereas this, I feel like it's 
it's not quite as black and white as that, which I really like. Yeah, I think I think if you well, for yeah, for the most part, I think everything has its that kind of grey area where there are some things to consider. But then if you don't, take so it I was one. I was worried there. that it was going to be like a like a propaganda movie. I've heard yeah. that Top Gun is kind of like that. Well, I like, what Top for the Gun military came out and like a bunch of people like joined the air force. Because it was like kind of it was kind of propaganda for the air force and yeah. the military. Oh, I was like, kind of worried that this was going to be like that. Da, da, da. And I was kind of worried about that, especially because it's very, it is very clean. It looks very clean and um, prim and proper. Um, it kind of paints kind of sort of an idealized version of uh, oh, you're in the military. Um, you're going to like look really nice in a uniform. And you're going to have to do all these like really epic things <laughs> and you're gonna defend your country wouldn't that be awesome but it doesn't go that route i'm very um happy that it didn't because i wouldn't have you know i'm not really a fan of just like movies that exist to show like really epic yeah. action in terms of like you look at these guys these guys are cool and they exist don't you want to be these guys <laughs> yeah Something I actually really loved about the movie is that there's no action in it at all. It's kind of, it shows mm. the military, but it never shows them at, world, at war. Um, the only time they're outside of even the US is when they go to Cuba. I can't imagine, like, being one of those people that would want to be in the military. So I feel like this is one of those films that if you're not into it, you, I, I don't know if you ever leave with that sense of being like, God, how noble are these men? I don't know, did anyone feel like, like, I don't know, like what was happening was like a noble cause or anything? Because I just didn't, I don't know. I wanted I'm to not see really what patriotic either, um, though, to be honest. Maybe it's not my at the film. end of the day, when they got off with like, they were dishonorably discharged, I was like, yeah, they ain't going to prison though, so like, whatever. Yeah, I felt <laughs> kind of bad for them though, because that um one of the guys was like, oh... That is my whole life. I would rather be behind bars for the rest mm. of my life than not be in the military. But even if you were in jail, you wouldn't be in the fucking military anymore. So, did you not get the better end of, of the deal? About, a lot of talk about the code, you know, the code that they follow. Yeah. Um, the bro code that, of the military. <laughs> yeah, they got the, the military bro code that they got, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I found that really interesting how they kind of um, show that people in the military kind of have to follow orders even if they think they're wrong mm -hmm. well yeah i because, mean like, I guess if they don't they're gonna end up you know dead or injured discharged or, or something, discharged yeah, yeah. Or something. Yeah. this is the thing though yeah if you if you are so wanting to be part of the elite squad you're gonna do whatever to stay in the elite squad right mm. you can't show cracks yeah exactly. i thought it was quite interesting um when Tom Cruise is like in the um, the room with these guys at the beginning. They don't mm -hmm. really do much. They just kind of stare at the wall and like they're very. I think it's kind of like a sign of discipline uh, in the military, at least. Like they just you just kind of stare at the wall and you don't you make don't any sort of facial expressions. Right. Like, sir, yes, sir, yeah. And it's like make your answers as short as possible. Just get out the facts. Um, I was worried that they were going to paint these guys as like. Maybe they were innocent, but like you don't really care for them because like they didn't really show much sign of humanity. But then they, there's like a great scene where like he kind of breaks. I think it was Dawson who kind of breaks that uh, demure, who is um just goes just starts 
like shouting at Tom Cruise. I thought that was really great. You kind of, and then you could you could relate to him and you could understand where he was coming from. Yeah. Oh, he's actually a person. <laughs> he actually could speak. <laughs> he has thoughts. Yeah, I liked that the um, the court case as well. Is a lot more co- complicated than um, these guys are innocent or guilty because like they are guilty, but the reason why they're guilty mm. is kind of what the case is about almost. Yeah, because it's like... Yeah, they still you, got yeah, charged with behaviour on becoming of a Marine. Because they still did it, and they should have... I think it was about standing up for people. It was about standing up for the, the people who can't stand up for themselves, and that's what they should have done for um, the guy, Willie. Yeah, that's what they That's what they say at the end, though, isn't it? That's um, when he's like, ah, oh, we should have... We should have... Help that man out. And it was like, well, there you go. That's yeah. why you're not a Marine anymore. Goodbye. James yeah, James from Twin Peaks goes, that's bullshit, man. And Dawson's like, nah, bro. We, we, we fucked up, man. <laughs> I was trying to figure out where I, where, I, where the fuck I recognise that guy from. I was like, oh, he's um, James from Twin Peaks. Oh, Chris said it like almost immediately. He went, it's that guy from Twin Peaks. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. The first about. shot of you, you see of him, he's like in shadows. And you can barely see him. And I was like, ask the guy from Twin Peaks. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what... Uh, I, it was actually quite an amazing skill. I was actually quite yeah. impressed, to be honest. The worst character from Twin Peaks. Yikes. I thought it was like a really that. great scene where they were um, interrogating the medical examination examiner, too. But like... This is like really weird kind of seedy guy who's like you don't really know whose side he's on, but he's like he says that Santiago was poisoned, but there was no trace of poison within his I would body say that, he, that was found. I would say that he's but he on said his that they own were like side. undetectable. Yeah. He said there were undetectable poisons that could have killed him. But then he also dismisses the idea entirely that underlying conditions in Santiago could have contributed to the his death without the need yeah. for poison. And and this is why I'm saying he's on his own side because he uh Tom Cruise then brings up the fact that he's like, Oh, so you're telling me that if you had done your job properly he wouldn't be in the military in the first place? And he's like, uh no, I don't know what you mean. It's like, oh, yeah, that scene was go. really great. <laughs> you fucked up, my man. It's always a really good move it's always a really good moment when he catches someone in a lie. Yeah. It's like um was it like um oh if Santiago was uh, in the, in the uh, or like when anyone catches anyone and it's like, it's like well if you were he, they were talking to James from Twin Peaks and he was like oh if you were outside um, in the jeep by like and you didn't get back until 4.45 how could you have been in the the thing by uh, the barracks by um, 4.20 and it's like oh fuck Every time, I love that like, we just start yeah, screaming it's like how? I didn't actually how? um <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't hear the order actually, like first hand, and I was like, "Fuck! <laughs> why didn't you, you tell Tom up, Cruise man. that?" They're like, "Oh, why didn't you tell me that?" And he was like, "You didn't ask, sir." It's like, "You, you, do you not know how this works?" You're you know how to tell they you work. Like everything. <laughs> you don't speak unless you're spoken to. <laughs> mm. Well, it fucked them. Yeah, they did. They did fuck him. But he brought it back. He clawed it back in. Yeah, all those bits where someone gets caught out on a lie is just so like, just so satisfying to watch. Like, except for that mm. one bit that you just brought up, where you know it's kind of the side you don't want yeah. to have like a upper. But like, anytime Tom Cruise just like reveals a lie about someone, like the bit where he like asks um, Jessup about 
um his you know his affairs how he brought a bunch of bags and yeah. the fact that he like made calls to like who he was going to see when he was there and he was like mm. well how come this guy didn't pack his bags at all and he was getting on a plane in a few hours and he made no calls but that bit is just so great yeah it was i like the way he replied to that as well he was like maybe he's just an early riser maybe he doesn't have any friends i was like oh for fuck's sake <laughs> like yeah it's not fact is it it's like speculation and yeah like yeah this he's is, technically right i don't know this is like the only thing about the film that i think it's my own fault really but i kept like picking like bits of the film apart because there's this guy that i watch on youtube who's a lawyer and he watches things like like movies like this and then he'll like pick apart like parts in the courtroom that actually won't be allowed to be used in the courtroom i'll spend the whole movie going he won't be able to say that he won't be able to do that that's a character reference you can't do that and i was just like i'm ruining the movie for myself because i kept doing it <laughs> but i kind of appreciate it because at least you know in a film that like, you know you can do whatever you want because it's a fucking movie so who gives a shit but i was ruining it because i kept going you couldn't do that you wouldn't be able to get away with that these aren't facts yeah i was you sort of doing do that, that as well <laughs> oh you were too yeah, okay i'm glad i'm not the only one i was literally like you cannot do this mm-hmm. oh well <laughs> it was like painfully obvious in this movie more so than like the other movies which kind of um they have the same kind of problem but like there's like one woman in this entire movie yeah, and we said in the last episode, like Chris said, <laughs> none of these movies are going to pass the Bechdel test, and none of them did. <laughs> um, yeah, I just knew. I didn't even know anything about this movie, but I just knew it wouldn't. But if if your main character is like a man, then there's not really much you can do, I guess. Like, yeah, of course, you're not going to have two female characters talk about something that's not related to the main character or um, what they're going through. Um, but it was like kind of painfully obvious in this one. Where it's like the only woman is Demi Moore. It's like, okay. Yeah. They still like make remarks about like, Jack Nicholson says, you haven't lived if you haven't gotten a blowjob of a woman who outranks you. And it's like, I don't, I don't appreciate that. I know he's like a bad guy, but it's like, come on. Yeah, no one actually needed that line. That line did not need to be in that film at all. Apparently one of the executives gave Aaron Sorkin a note, um, which basically said, why is Demi more a woman if she's not going to sleep with Tom Cruise in the film? And like, <laughs> apparently his response was, women have purposes other than to sleep with Tom Cruise. Shit, do they? <laughs> yeah. I like what her in the movie. Thing the to say. Really good. Yeah, she's good. I think this is the only time I've actually seen her in a film. I was going for a like filmography and I hadn't actually seen anything she's in. Do you know what? I, I, will, yeah. bring, I, I will bring up the question though of, I mean, it might it might be an accident. It might have just been like coincidental. But why have her in the film if she's going to be the only woman? Like, should you not have had other women in the film, or is it just like it was just a coincidence? Like, she just happened to be the only film, the only only film, the only woman in the film. Like, why have a woman in the film if you're not going to have any other women in the film? Or does it not matter? Do you know what I mean? Maybe, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just overthinking that. But I don't get it. Oh, uh, you know, inclusion. I don't have to be more in there. Why not? Yeah, I can't I think, complain. She was yeah, good. I haven't actually. I don't. I don't think I've seen her in all that much either. I've seen her in Ghost. That was a good movie. Um, but I've yeah, seen not much her from in um, The Hunchback of Notre Dame and Beavis and Butthead Do America. She's in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. 
Who's she playing? Yeah. Esmeralda. No fucking way. She's sick. She was in the second one what as well. What do you mean she's... What? She played Esmeralda? The only woman in that movie? <laughs> was she the only woman That's in that crazy. movie? That's <laughs> crazy. Probably. No, do you know what? Maybe she's got. Maybe she's got a track. Maybe she's got a contract. There was a female where every gargoyle. film she said she's the only woman. There we go. Maybe I've solved nah, the case because you know, Whoopi Goldberg was in Ghost, so she wasn't there. I fucking love Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> Should we go on to ratings? Yeah, sure. What do you want to rate it out of? Um, um, do it out of co- code reds. They're like, oh, I didn't do my vomit like cold red. Like, oh, I, I didn't do you know what a cold, cold red, red is? Red, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I thought this was a really great film. Um, I think the first act, I wasn't super, super into it. But in, when they, as soon as they got into the courtroom, I was just really into everything going on from there. Um, great writing, really, really great acting. Just a great experience. I'm glad I finally watched this movie because it's been on my watch list quite a while. Um, I give it. Eight code reds out of ten. Yeah, um, it's a good courtroom drama. Um, really like uh, Rob Reiner as a director. I think any man who makes something like The Princess Bride, Spinal Tap, When Harry Met, Harry Met Sally, and um, this, he's all right in my books. You know, <laughs> he's one of the one of the greats. Um, I'll give it eight uh, code reds out of ten. Hello. Um, I enjoyed this movie a bloody lot and I wasn't expecting to enjoy this movie a bloody lot apart from the fact that I was picking apart all the stupid courtroom nonsense but then at the same time I was so invested in this story that I just kind of stopped giving a shit after a while and I just thought you know what I want to know what happens I need to know how it ends and what I like most in the movie when I'm not fucking bored nine code reds out of ten Awesome. Chris just moved my jeans. Yeah, because you're rustling it into the microphone. <gasps> but they're my jeans. Yeah, but the no, last stop thing rustling your jeans people want to hear when listening <gasps> to a podcast is the rustling of plastic. Well, you know what? Some people who like ASMR might actually enjoy me opening my jeans. Then okay? listen to ASMR instead. <laughs> well, yeah, listen. We, should, should we um, start an ASMR jeans podcast? <laughs> yeah, maybe we should. We'll buy um, different jeans. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, comment below. Darcy, start your own jeans ASMR podcast. Right. So then I picked a movie. And I picked a movie that on... Um, Many a TikTok, I have spent hours looking at um, random film things that come up, and it tells me that this is the greatest movie ever made. So I thought, you know what? Put your money where your mouth is, and we'll we'll give it a fucking watch. So I picked There Will Be Blood, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson from 2007, about a um, a silver miner who's like a oil tycoon. Um, his name's Daniel, and he moves to um, California where he digs up this like oil-rich land and has adopted someone's child as, from from a baby i guess his co-worker died and he uses this like family image to like gain trust of all these people in California and meets a preacher called Eli but he's also a twin apparently who's who's also a pool and I'm confused by this man and we'll explain that in a minute um 
yeah, I don't, I don't even, I don't even know what uh, what actually happened in this movie. Um, can someone explain it to me? Because I'm lost a little bit. I'm not gonna lie. Just vibes. Vibes. Oil tycoon yeah. man um, moves to California. Oil digs vibe. land. Oil, oil vibes. Well, yeah, I think you got it in one. Um, I want to know <laughs> okay. what you thought about it, Darcy, because you haven't seen this movie before. I've no. seen it a couple of times before, and so has Chris. I just wanted to get your initial thoughts before we okay. say anything. So I'm just going to blurt out like initial thoughts on ramblings, and then uh, we can kind Is of... Is TikTok right? Talk about that. <laughs> what was that? Is TikTok right? Is TikTok, TikTok correct? Oh, I mean, it was fucking fantastic. Um I don't know if I would say this is like the greatest movie ever made, but a lot of people would probably disagree with me on that one. But then again, it does come down to just personal taste. And I think, if I'm totally honest, as as fantastic as this movie was, it's not my kind of genre of a movie, so to speak. You know, I'm not really into the whole like tycoon, oil, cowboy looking men you know what I mean? Like it's, you it's, say that like it's, it's a huge genre with loads of movies. <laughs> no, but I mean like it's the oil not, genre. It's, <laughs> the oil genre. No, but I just um, in terms of like so. Okay, so if I'm honest, if I had seen this movie in like a film store and I read the plot of it, I wouldn't be picking it up. Is basically what I'm trying to say. But now that I've been forced to watch it, I've been pleasantly surprised by how like much I liked it. Like. Paul Dano's fucking sick in this movie. Yeah. Um, some of the acting's like really over the top and I really, really like it. Um, a lot of it was really interesting. There were, like I said, there was like a couple dips here and there where I could have easily have just been like, God, I'm fucking bored. But I wasn't bored, bored. It <laughs> Okay, what, what it more was, was that um, unless something was happening, it was a bit slow for me, if that makes sense. But I think that's yeah. to be justified because it needed to build the story, but I'm not it's someone with... Movie. Yeah, I'm not someone with patience, I'm afraid. However, it was fucking fantastic. There you go. Yeah. That is my it's initial an rambling. It's very long. Yes. There's a lot happening. Yes. I feel like it all kind of serves its purpose. Yes, There's never a moment in this movie that I think is unnecessary or takes too long i think for me i i'm never bored watching this movie because it i think its pace is really great it just kind of seems to be constantly moving or doing something mm. even when it slows down a bit you kind of understand why it's slowed down and you know what there are actually some points in this film right and i don't normally pay attention to this kind of thing because i i don't know i'm, I'm not like a avid movie Noah, so I don't really talk about like directing and frames and stuff, but there were some like really cool like frames of like these are kind of like a uh, Daniel Day Lewis and kind of like these almost like silhouette kind of things with like fog behind him and shit. Sexy. I was like, I want that on like a postcard or something because they were they were like lush to look at. <laughs> but other than that, it was just kind of like, oh, everything's like re like strange. It's like, it's like either really gritty or really pretty. There's almost like no in between. Yeah. Especially like the scenes with the oil where it looks like they're just covered in like actual shit. Hmm. <laughs> it's either gritty or it's pretty. It's yeah, good, pretty much, yeah. Uh, I think it's a good uh, for it. amount uh, like a good explanation of it. Yeah. Although good descriptor, I, yeah. Do you know what what I think one of my favourite parts of this film though was um Paul Dano preaching in this like 
church thing, like this little church pop up, and he's like, "You got a this? Be gone, devil! Be gone!" And it was like so dramatic and so over the top, and I was like, "That's yeah. fucking hilarious." I enjoyed that a lot. Actually, he's pushing the spirit out of the woman with arthritis, right? Yeah, like and the he camera. Was so he's like pushing the, the camera out, so the camera kind of acts as that <laughs> spirit. It was so sick. I was like, he's like this pushing is us insane. out. Never thought I'd ever enjoy He's, a scene of a preacher, mm-hmm. but there you go. <laughs> this is, um, it's like a horror movie. I, feel, I consider it a horror movie. Pretty much. It's fucking terrifying. Um, mm. It's like, opens with like just horror movie violins. When that happens, it's like, you know you're in for some fuck shit. Yeah. And like, you know you're in for like a ride. Um, it's two hours and 40 minutes long. I started mm-hmm. this at 10 p.m. Um, I don't feel the time for this though. Did you say 10 p.m.? Uh, yeah. So I oh finished it. God. It was past midnight. I was very tired. But um, so I guess this time around, I kind of felt the length, but I, only because I was tired. But um, I kind of got the feeling that like I could put this on at any time ever and just watch it. Um, it goes by very well for me. They're very smoothly paced. Um, and I, I just um, I um, yeah, I think it's one of the best movies ever made. It is um, for me, at least. Um, understand the the ideas you're getting at, Darcy. Where like, yeah, the idea of a oil man tycoon is not my genre. Um, I get it. <laughs> it's not really about that so much as I think it's about this character of Daniel Plainview. Um, it's like one of the best character study movies ever. It might be the yeah. best. I don't know. I think um, Daniel Day Lewis plays the character really. Well, he's got a lot of he's, he's got very a lot interesting, of uh, isn't he? Onionic layers to him, you know. Um, I really, I think it's <laughs> it's one of the the great performances, you know, in anything. Yeah, I completely agree. This is one of my favorite performances in any film. It's interesting what you say about it not feeling long at all and kind of flying by because that's something I feel about um, Paul Thomas Anderson's film Magnolia as well. I think that's something he just does really well. Mm-hmm. I can't think of a single film he's done where I've felt its length really badly. I think all his films for me just kind of fly by. Yeah, I think... Did, yeah. Did, his, no, sorry. You, 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 you carry on because I don't want to say anything in the moment of being lost here. Okay. Oh, no, right, no. Because I, I was just thinking about what films I've seen of his. Sorry. And I'm like, yeah. do I feel the length of his films? And I'm like, I do a little bit, to be honest, but I don't know whether that's... Um, well, well I feel the length of licorice pizza, of course. Yeah, like, yeah. Is, 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 this a, is this an ADHD thing, or is this just genuinely <laughs> his films being fucking long as hell? I mean, apart from this, you haven't really loved any of his movies, have you, that you've seen? No, Except actually, no, that's Love. true. Um, Punch Drunk Love was good. But then I haven't seen The Master, and I probably should, but then it's another one of those films that looks like it's about four fucking years long. It's not that long. I think it's just over two hours. Yeah. I watched oh, okay. that for the first time the other day, actually. That was good. A good one. Yeah. No, that was it. That was basically it. I just wanted to know whether it was just a, a me problem or whether it was just like his films are just long. He is a really great director. He's one of my favourites. And looking at his filmography, I feel like this is one of the ones that stands out as like one of his most unique films this is really really different for him i think um a lot of that i think comes down to its setting like he's done 
pretty much all his films are period pieces. A lot of them set in like the seventies. He goes to a lot, um, like in Boogie Nights or um, Licorice Pizza. But this is like in the early, like late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, which I don't think he's explored um, in any other film. But also, I don't think he's done like a a film on this sort of scale. I think Magnolia is like a an epic in a way, but in a much more dramatic way. Whereas this is a very grand film. Like yes, even I, was, I was just that. looking at the the runtime of that Magnolia film, and I just thought, Jesus Christ, that's a lot. You know what? It's whatever in it. But no, uh, back to this movie. I don't know. I I think as far as like a movie goes, as much as because like, I really like this film. Don't get me wrong, but. I don't know if I would ever watch this again, and not because I didn't like it, but because it was just so... I felt like I had to be in the mood for it. Like I don't feel like I would ever actually be able to bring myself yeah, to watch this film again. I get again. that. It's a very, very moody movie. Mm. This isn't the kind of film where I'm like, oh, I'm in a really bad mood. I want someone to pick me up. Let's watch <laughs> There Will Be Blood. <laughs> I don't know. You watch that scene with that preacher, man. <laughs> that was it's, quite something. It's oppressive. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's an oppressive movie. What's it meant? It's very creepy. Like, yeah, this it, is this is it. It's like one of those. It's yeah. It's, it's totally very interesting. Yeah, it's very like hmm. Max, as you just said, very That's tense it. and atmospheric. Um, it kind of there's some like dark humor sprinkled throughout. I think as well. There's points where it almost kind of is like a very very black comedy. Um. But a lot of it is very cold and harsh, I think. Um, you kind of feel the weight of everything going on. Mm. I, do you know what's really weird? Like, uh, I, know, I don't know how... Um, I don't know if anyone's going to bring this bit up in this film, but I'm actually like really like... It. I don't know, there was that scene where he was doing... Uh, where they were like arguing in sign language, and to be honest, that was fucking sick. A weird thing to be in, yeah. in, impressed about. Towards the but. end, where he's arguing with his son. It's great. I, I, I think it's it's just um, you don't really see a lot of that kind of thing in films where like you're actually engaging with like um, issues of being deaf and sign language and things. And I just thought I just thought it looked mm. really like cool. Like they were just arguing, and it was just like this most simplistic thing. But like it's always so different when there's obstacles and it's just, I don't know it was just really visually interesting to just watch well, you see him snap when there's an obstacle put in his path that he can't solve with either just kind of plain talking or um, the, the money that he has um, there was a really great scene I found it to be quite upsetting and he's just kind of talking to his son he's like um, you have none of me and you you're just a bastard from a basket it's like fuck man he's like basically telling him like yeah, you, like he never really loved him, and we kind of knew this all along. It's like he never really loved HW. He was just there as a prop to kind of present himself as a family man, so that he could sell his um his business to different uh, villages and towns. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was quite sad, I think. And it leads to him just like he's so lonely and just a broken man. By the end, all he has is like his massive amount of money, but he has he never loved anyone. You know, yeah. I think Daniel Day-Lewis is the perfect um, pick for this role as well. Like, I can't think of anyone who would be able to do it quite as well. I just, When I think of Daniel Day-Lewis, I think of this character. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's because he just... 
he just goes into the role like he just transforms and everything he's in does the same in phantom fred i think really well um with this film apparently he used like oral histories from the time period to create um plain views voice um like to get the accent exactly how someone from that time would have had it i appreciate that though because he could have literally sounded like a cowboy gone wrong yeah mm-hmm. like easily apparently um originally he was the character was going to be played by philip seymour hoffman as well because um until what, his character yeah before philip mm. seymour hoffman died this was the only paul thomas anderson movie he wasn't in but he wanted um to kind of distance himself from his past and not have anyone who was in any previous movie kind of almost giving like himself a rebirth um and also hoffman was doing Snepke New York at the time so they wouldn't have been able to do it I can't regardless. imagine him being in, this, yeah, I like, can't, in that I role I can't imagine him doing the role I can only no. imagine Daniel Day-Lewis doing it I mean well he I makes the character his own him. yeah yeah this is it but I've never yeah but I've not I mean I have seen him in Lincoln but like I've never known him to be the, but then I've not seen enough of his movie so no one should put me on the cross for this or whatever but I've never, I've never really seen him to be like a, you know, like that well-renowned actor that everyone's like, "Whoa, it's Daniel Day-Lewis." I'm just like, "Oh yeah, it's Daniel Day-Lewis." Yeah, well, up he's, until, he's up considered until I saw to be this, that. By the way. He's considered to be like the great, like yeah, that's, that's no what I mean. one like, is as good as him. Like if he's in a movie, then everyone else in that movie is going to be completely overshadowed. I mean, I, I do you know what? I, I, he was absolutely insane in this movie like I'm, I, I almost i was almost believing that he was the oil tycoon yeah. man he's not daniel day lewis i don't know who that man is yeah i think <laughs> i don't know if it was before or after this movie he said he was retiring from acting and he keeps coming back every few years and every time he does a role everyone's obviously talking about it because i was say has he's he been be in anything else it. i don't think i've since this, I think he's only been in Lincoln and Phantom Fred. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's Yeah, Lincoln it. was in 2012. Phantom Fred was... Okay, so Phantom Fred was probably the last That's film. his most recent film, yeah. Okay. I didn't realise it was that late. I thought it was earlier. I don't know why. No no real reason for me to yeah. say that. Just... He's a man with a lot of hatred in him. It's like where he literally says, I've built up my hatred over the years. It's like you, you really get that he fucking hates people. Yeah, the entire yeah, time you're like, this, if he didn't have to talk to anyone, he wouldn't. And um, everything he's put up, like this family image, is a facade. <laughs> um, and he actually tells um, this guy who comes up, who says he's his brother, and he um, tries to work for him. He's, he's like, I guess he's kind of found someone who maybe he can sort of relate to and kind of tell uh, him how he feels about everything it was like oh there's a really famous line where he's like i have a competition in me i want no one else to succeed and i hate most people and there are times i look at people and see nothing worth liking like fucking hell it was such a fantastic scene man. yeah it's, it's insane the the, the the visual acting from him the, just in his what you see from his face and his um his uh visual performance um his physical performance is it's some of the best i think i've seen it's very subtle a lot of the time there was a part where he finds out this guy has lied about being his brother and he like puts a gun on him and he says and he basically admits that he's not his brother and you just like you see this flare in like his eyes and it's just like basically communicated with his eyes and you're like this guy is pissed off this guy is so mad 
and you you completely understand no words are spoken i think that's what this movie does very well is the the idea of visual communication showing not telling but 15 minutes of this movie from the beginning to the 15 minute mark no talking doesn't yeah no words are spoken it's really good it's just just visual storytelling it's really well done yeah it is that's something i think paul thomas anderson's always done really well um He's a fantastic writer, but he's also a fantastic visual storyteller. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think as much as um, Daniel Day-Lewis is really brilliant, is I think, yeah, if everyone's going to be overshadowed by him, it's pretty amazing that Paul Dano kind of isn't. Yeah. He still holds his own. He plays like two characters, one guy called Paul, who you never see again after there's one scene, and then Eli... I think there's this clash of um, two different worlds where Eli's more within his church, and that's kind of um, a clash of the old, the old ways. That's kind of leaning into this new, where you get like the turn of the century from the uh, the nineteenth to the twentieth century. Uh, you see, like the old battling with the new, where Daniel Plainview is kind of this guy who's like a capitalist. He's going into oil and. I think it's a lot to do with a lot of greed and like the the clash between these two powers. Like who's going to win? Why in the end who who does win? And can anyone win if all you're fighting for is basically just money and greed? Yeah. I think at the same time <clears throat> although they are kind of at odds at each other, I think they're kind of doing very similar things in different ways. I feel like they're both in a way kind of power hungry where um they kind of believe of themselves to be like of a higher power to others and they kind of prey into others weaknesses where eli is kind of this head of this church and kind of sucks in people into his world of religion and almost controls them and makes them like he is and daniel kind of uses all these people to monopolize he kind of he's kind of trying to overpower people and use them for his own greed and his own good. And I think it kind of all culminates into that final scene where we're shown how, cause Daniel is much more money driven and much more of the future. He's kind of prospered and thrived and has this huge mansion with a bowling alley in it. And Eli has kind of suffered and he's, got nothing and he's left to kind of crawl and like beg daniel for just a little piece of what he has and i think that's kind of something interesting that the film does hey he was owed money he never got that is true i thought yeah right definitely the there, two sides of the same coin yeah i want to pull down and fuck him up <laughs> i genuinely did like at the end he, was, he came in and i thought i want you to fuck this man up so hard but no yeah. Didn't get that, did I? Didn't get that satisfaction. That's true, capitalism, I, baby. I didn't want him to. Uh, I don't think I wanted Eli to win. I don't. I didn't like him as like a, a person. I don't. Um, as a character, fucking fantastic, fantastically played. But as a person, he was he was very seedy. He was very um, g- greedy and uh, power hungry. I think. Um, so I think these two characters are at odds. Yeah, they're they're at odds, but they're also they're very similar. Yeah, they're like the same. I think there's a lot of 
there's probably a lot of biblical messaging in this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, you got the Sundays, this whole family, Eli's family. They're all, all their names are like biblical names. You know, you, you got, got like, like Abel. Abel, his father, and Mary. And I think the the scene at the end where um, Daniel crushes uh, Eli's skull with the bowling pin no. was definitely. It was definitely trying to reflect the story of Cain and Abel, these two brothers, and these these characters are by marriage they're now brothers because. Um, oh yeah, he married his his son married uh, Eli's Mary? sister, yeah, Mary. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. I think um, Daniel, in a lot of ways, is kind of almost like the manifestation of capitalism as well. Like he has this real like big fish eats little fish attitude throughout, I think. And a lot of that is shown kind of through this battle of him being a corporate businessman and Eli being much more of a evangelical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see like that part where uh, he goes into the, the church because I think Daniel's the kind of guy who's, who thinks he can get anything he wants through just money. And when he can't get this bandy tract from this guy who won't give him his land, he's like, I'll give you $5,000. And Bandy's like, no, just go get baptized. And he's like, I'll give you, I'll give you $10,000 or something. Yeah. Like just anything not to go to this church. And I think when he's in this church, he's kind of under, he's not in control anymore. And he is under realized power. And, um, this just like culminates in like because he's abandoned. He abandoned uh, H.W. on the train. There's the iconic line of "I abandoned my boy," and um, <laughs> she just like has to scream that over and over again. You see the hatred within his eyes at what Eli is making him say. Is like say it louder and say it, keep saying it. He's like, oh, all right, I'm gonna kill you. And I think there's a point at the end of that uh, scene where. You see Daniel like talking to Eli. It's like you don't hear what he says to him, but I think you can kind of infer it. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna tell him he's gonna fuck him up. <laughs> yeah, you see Daniel throughout, kind of using people and using their weaknesses, and clearly only going after people who he knows he can um, best. Like um, one of the early scenes is him kind of pitching this oil rig to this town, and everyone kind of sees the flaws in it and sees that they might be used and they kind of ask him questions about it and he just gets up and leaves and refuses to do business with him because he knows that he won't be able to screw him over he knows that he won't have this power over him and he like throughout like with the oil rigs you can tell that he's using people who aren't quite as intelligent as he is intentionally there's a lot of um a lot of like, horrible injuries early on with people getting hurt because they're maybe too stupid to use the equipment or have been drinking or any of these things. And I think that's something I find quite interesting about the character and the depiction of him. Certainly, yeah. And I do like the this kind of idea of like these two warring parts and where you have... Daniel Plainview getting baptised in the church. It's reflected in the end scene where Daniel makes Eli like renounce his faith. He's like, oh, I'd like you to tell me that you're a false prophet and that God is a superstition. And he kind of, 
he wants Eli to abandon his faith so he has nothing anymore and he kind of wants to bring him down to his level and I think he he says it just so he can get like the oil drilled in like this pl- a part of the uh, the neighborhood just so he has like more money coming in there's still that greed within him and I think it was just like a fantastic scene and really brilliantly acted where he just like kind of denounces everything and it's like oh well uh that part's already been drilled. It's like, you yeah. just dismantled this man's entire life and his philosophy, and you didn't give him anything. <laughs> it's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> it's so it's a great scene. Yeah, that final scene's like one of my favourite final scenes in any great. film. Just fantastic. Ah, mm. oh, sorry, kid, we've already drilled that whole bit. Has <laughs> <laughs> oh, the oil. really famous milkshake line, where it's like, oh, I've got a straw, and it goes all the way over into your milkshake, I drink your milkshake. (laughs) (laughs) I drink your milkshake. Yeah. (laughs) I appreciate it. (laughs) You are not the, yeah. You are not the chosen brother, Eli. It was Paul who came to me. And Paul's like, rich beyond his wildest dreams now. Because he's he's an oil man too. I think he wasn't going to play Eli. I don't think Paul Dana was going to play Eli. But then like Paul Thomas Anderson was like, I'm going to give you a bigger part. Because he was only playing Paul before, and then he made him play Eli, so that's why they're identical twins. <laughs> yeah, I think um, apparently Daniel Day Lewis had like almost a year to prepare for the role, and um, Paul Dana was given like a week, um, <laughs> like a week before he found out he was going to be playing Eli as well to prepare, and get ready for that role, and like considering how incredible he is in the movie, that's like really impressive. He's a really good actor. Yeah, I he's think this is actor. my favorite performance from him. I'd agree. He's fantastic in this movie. Something else I really love about the movie that we've barely touched on yet is the score, um, composed by um, Johnny Greenwood, who I'm a huge fan of anyway, and I think this is one of my favorite scores of his. Pretty sure it's his was his first feature length um, um, score as well in like a proper film outside of documentary. It's like filled with really droning, aggressive orchestral sounds and strange percussion and electronic sounds as well that give it like this really mechanical um, heightened sense of dread, which I think is just fantastic. It's killer, man. It's so menacing. It's like it's like an animal moving to pounce. I think it's it's um it's, it's an in- insane score. I really I thought um the scene where. The, the Derek and the oil rig explodes. Yeah. It's probably one of the best. I think, you know, that's probably one of the best scenes ever in anything. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> when that oil rig explodes, um, it's like burning down. I think it's one of the best scenes in cinema. It's It's got so many incredible shots. And um, you see Daniel's reaction of kind of, he's just saved his son, but his son is deaf. And he still kind of just like leaves him there to just gape in awe at the 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 explosion here and all the fire because he's he's kind of like he's experiencing so much joy because like there's clearly so much oil here and i think he just like that shot of his face covered in oil as he's lit by the fire is just like oh fucking hell it's like one of the best shots ever i think 
it's really like the edges are kind of like glimmering with this orange glow and you see his face covered in oil he's it's it's fucking insane and and yeah. also it's followed up by just like this shot of him from behind as they blow up the rig that was fucked up that was like a really interesting shot it's just kind of like pulling back a bit as they blow it up yeah i think it's just like fantastic honestly yeah, visually, I think the whole film is fantastic, but that's definitely one of the standout scenes. Um, the cinematography is by Robert Elsewhere, and I think he does such an incredible job. Um, that scene is like filled with so many memorable images, and there's loads of other ones throughout the film. Um, I think that film mm. also just show that scene. Sorry, shows off the just how great the coloring is as well. Like it, it feels very natural and gritty. Um, and there's a lot of like strong blacks and oranges, especially in that scene, which I think really fit the film's tone and setting perfectly. It feels kind of of that time in a way, yeah. although it does have like quite a, a sheen to it, quite a veneer. Um, but I'm never, never thinking this is like a modern movie. I don't feel like it could have come out like like it just emulates that side of history so very well. Yeah. Well, Paul Thomas Anderson um, owns a vintage 1910 Path camera, um, cool. which he actually used for a few shots in the film. Mm. Yeah, it looks amazing. Um, <laughs> him, like, in the sea as well. Like, when they're in the sea, he's like, yeah, let's go for a swim with his, his brother. Um, and you, like, ask him about the Peachtree Giants, yeah, like... I say, take him to the Peach Street dance, <laughs> and he's like, yeah. <laughs> and that's when he kind of twigs that that's not his brother, like he would have known if he was like yeah. around that, those parts and like if he'd grown up there. Um, so he just kind of like goes into the sea and like you see his face just like bobbing up and down as he glowers at him. Uh, that was probably quite funny, <laughs> I thought. <laughs> yeah. Um, do we have anything else to add or are we good to go into ratings? I would Got say anything, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess I, I I wanted to come at this from like um, I wanted to know what Darcy thought about the movie because um she picked it because of TikTok. Um, I think it's one of the best mm. movies ever made. I think um, it's 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 well deserved, you know, and I think I could have watched this at you know five p.m. or I could have watched it like at midnight, but I still would have. <laughs> sat through it all because it is so gripping yeah. and so intense it's um it is it's in, in infatuating honestly um backed up one of the best performances ever or a couple of the best performances ever honestly and i think it's um it's one of pta's best movies it might be his best movie i don't know it's kind of up there for me with um magnolia i think yeah. those two are just like stunners yeah uh, yeah we'll go to ratings Sure thing. Rate our milkshakes, obviously. Yeah, of course. Yeah, this is a masterpiece. Paul Thomas Anderson's like top three favorite director for me, and this uh, maybe not as good as um, Magnolia or Punch Drunk Love for me, but it's definitely up there. I think this is like one of the greatest movies ever made. Just like such an epic movie in every single sense of the word. Um, yeah, ten, ten milkshakes out of ten. Easy ten. Mm -hmm. I'm very glad I had the Blu-ray for this. They just have the DVD. Yeah, you gotta you gotta get that Blu-ray for this one. You gotta watch it in the highest quality. It demands it. It's um, it's a ten milkshakes out of ten for me. 
Love it. Love it so much. So, yeah, it's one of my favorite movies ever. Um, I would I would watch it over and over again. It is kind of one of those. Let's see. Sometimes TikTok has its uses, you see. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was definitely an experience. Um, I'm glad I watched it because I don't think in any other scenario in, in the world, I don't think I would have ever have watched it. Like of my own accord, anyway. So sometimes it's good that this podcast makes me kind of um, choose something and go, okay, I'm going to sit here and watch it because um, it was a really great film. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I'd be like in a rush to watch it again anytime soon, but that's more of a me thing and nothing to do with the film itself because the film is uh, like great in almost everywhere. Um, so I'm going to give it nine milkshakes out of ten milkshakes. My milkshakes. Cool. Milkshakes. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> That's that. Apologies. Um, we've got two wheels to spin this <gasps> time around. Oh yeah, you knew. it's a show wheel today. <sighs> yeah. So if you're just tuning in and you don't really know what this podcast is about, every week we spin a wheel and it tells us what we're going to watch next week. Um, this time around because it's two. Two weeks away from episode 75, we're going to do season one of uh, a show, and it's going to tell us what show we're going to watch. Should we do that one first? Yeah. We've got the film one up already. Okay, we'll, get, we'll do the film All one All right, first. we'll do the film one. It's basically the same thing. Okay. I'll turn the sound <laughs> what on. What are we so watching next time? Spin it into the microphone. Are we doing it from the... People the, um, at home can hear. We get to hear the clapping. We're doing it from the, the one that's we can watch it alone. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we've got the at-home movie uh, list. Oh, that's very loud. Whoa, there it goes. <laughs> what are we watching? Interesting. Um, what the fuck oh is Christ. that? <laughs> it's you! <laughs> so we put all of our names on the marathon list when we first did it, saying oh, we can pick free films. It's a Max special. Max, it's you. So do you want to pick free films, Max? Just anything? <laughs> you can either pick something that's on the list already, or you can just pick free films. Well, here's the thing. I thought about when we when we were going to do this, I wanted it to be like one where we could marathon them together because it would be okay. like something I would want to show you Do you want to spin the wheel guys. again then? Is that what you want to is that what you want to do? It's up to you. It's not it's never going to come up again though, is it? <laughs> um, yeah, we'll do it again because if if that comes up it's going to be something that I want to watch together. Okay. That's fine. Imagine if it came up with one of us again. It's a me. It's a shame that was one of the golden golden ones that I was looking forward to. Hey. Um, Pixar movies. Pixar movies. Pixar movies. Pixar movies. Yeah, I'm happy. Any objections? No. Fine. No. Yeah. We'll each pick a Pixar movie then. Okay. Brilliant. Ah. What's on the docket? For the next one. For the, for the show. Um, the next show. The show show. For season one of a show. Just uh, need to we're doing this two, so I completely forgot. Yeah. So we're doing oh this one two God. weeks in advance. Because the last time we did it, we did it ten weeks in advance. Mm -hmm. Because we just did it after the last show we reviewed. And then that show got removed from streaming. So we're doing these on streaming services. Um, however, we can get those, I guess. Um, we'll see. We hope it's something epic. Hope it's something. Right. We're gonna hope spin. it's something interesting. You know. 
Well, holy fuck! <laughs> um, High School Musical, <laughs> the musical, the series. Okay. <laughs> awesome. It's a Disney shootout. Yeah, this week. It's a Disney special. <laughs> two Disney shit in a row. It's two Disneys in a row. Okay, uh, so we got that one. We got the Pixar ones. Mm-hmm. You'll find that out. Yeah, it's probably going to be in the description of this episode. Just look. Yeah. Um, and then in two episodes' time, High School Musical, the show. It's High School Musical, <laughs> the musical, one of that. the series. Yeah, don't get that mixed up. High School Musical, the musical, the series. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. Uh, okay. Great. That's that then. We got social media. YouTube is the Sunday Movie Marathon. Twitter is at Sunday Movie Pod. Facebook is at Sunday Movie Marathon. And Letterboxd is at Sunday MM. Capital S, capital M, M. Uh, any final words? COVID forever. Thanks, milkshakes. Okay. Bye. Tylko jedno w głowie mam. Koksu pięć gram.